Lord, such a tender and beautiful story. I pray that um, this would be uh, an opportunity for each of us to have a revelation of your love, of your word to us, of your calling us by name. Lord, thank you for offering yourself as our brother, our advocate, our king. In your name we pray, amen. Well, it's good to be with you here in this nice warm building, for which I'm grateful. Um, it's crazy, this weather, um, and I'm glad that you are able to brave it and to, to worship together the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is certainly dwelling in a warm place at this very moment. Um, and we will be with him there one day. Uh, it's good news for us Wisconsin people. Um, we're still in the glow of resurrection in our in our in our hearts and in our, our narrative here of following Jesus. And this, this account of Jesus revealing himself to Mary is surely one of the most touching and beautiful passages of Scripture. And um, to preach it is a, is a privilege, and, and, and yet it's just so tender. I feel like I'm, I'm watching something very intimate happening, and I'm awed by that, and I'm so grateful for it. Mary Magdalene is a highly respected disciple of Jesus. She's one of the most, most respected women in the New Testament. She's mentioned often, and she has quite a powerful testimony. Um, Luke tells us in his gospel that Mary Magdalene was one of the group of women who supported Jesus in his ministry from the very start. Early on in Jesus' ministry, uh, Jesus had delivered Mary of seven demons. We don't know what they were. We don't know what her struggles were. We don't know how they afflicted her. Um, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of context for exactly what happened. But we can imagine the desperation of Mary's life until that moment of being afflicted in some way by seven demons and the her response to Jesus' delivery is just so beautiful. She was one of Jesus' most devoted followers. And in response to Jesus giving himself to her, she gave herself to him. She poured out of her own emotional love for him and her financial means and her vocation became one of following Jesus and providing for him along with several other women of means. And uh, as one church teacher said it, I, I like the way this was said, when Christ saved her, he liberated the highest virtues of sacrifice, fortitude, and courage. I like to think of Mary in that way. And you see these qualities exhibited in her. Her love was fearless. She wasn't somehow afraid of even the Romans in their brutality. She wasn't afraid of seeing Jesus in his most vulnerable state, she was there, right there, from start to finish. Her devotion to following Jesus was an expression of her faith in God. The women were not there on Saturday because that was the Sabbath. And they were faithful Jewish people who followed God's instructions to keep the Sabbath holy, but as soon as she was able, she was there 
now at the gravesite looking for her friend and her Lord. Mary loves Jesus and she wants to be with him. She wants to provide for him. That's her heart is to provide for her Lord. I'm sure she enjoyed doing it. And so these traits in her lead her to the cross and now to the garden on this dark morning. Uh, The sun hadn't even risen yet. The dark morning of the resurrection. She doesn't know what's happened. We know, the readers of the story, we know what's happened, but she doesn't. Mary isn't just disappointed in events. She's grieving And it's interesting at this point to start to kind of track with Mary. Each of the disciples of Jesus have different responses to this crisis of Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion and burial. Uh, Each of the disciples has different kinds of reactions. Some are ashamed. Some are afraid. Some lack courage or faith. Mary is grieving Her heart is just broken because her Lord had delivered her from seven demons. She had followed Jesus around his ministry, watching him, no doubt helping him, supporting him, and she was there, and her concern was to take care of him. It's a beautiful expression. And now she has not that chance. She has one more chance to care for her Lord, and that's to take care of his body. She's sad. She's disoriented. She doesn't really know what's going on, and and she's not seeing clearly, which is not a criticism. It's just a statement of fact. She can't actually fathom what's happening. And there's not a lot of other people who can help her. If you have your Bibles open to chapter 20, you'll see what happens before our gospel reading the women discover that Jesus is not in the tomb and Mary goes um, to uh, her first announcement really is just kind of sharing data. She shares with the disciples that Jesus is not there. Now this is not an expression of faith on anybody's part because they don't really know what's going on. John and Peter run run to the tomb. So if you can imagine this, Mary's there, John and Peter are there. They look in to the empty grave, and then there's this kind of enigmatic statement that's made in chapter 20, verse 8. The disciples reach the tomb. They look in. John goes in, and he sees and believes, for as yet they did not understand the Scripture. So it's a little hard to know what exactly John is believing, and there's kind of two traditions. One is that he believed that Jesus was risen from the dead, and the other is that he believed what Mary said. Yeah, you're right. He's not there. And uh, I think it may be a little combination of both. They don't, they're not really clear yet. And you can kind of see this because whatever it was that they were believing, it wasn't vigorous enough that they just kind of walked on by Mary who was standing there weeping. So they weren't, it just, nobody at this point had reached a conviction And so Mary stands there now alone, even worse. You know, it's hard when you tell somebody something and they don't have the answer and and then you're alone again. You know, you're alone the first time and then then you kind of reach out to your people who should be able to do something about this and they can't and then now that loneliness is even worse. 
because now where do you go? And so Mary does what Mary does. She is, in her courage and in her fidelity and her devotion to Jesus, she's gonna take care of him. So beautiful. And actually, I wanna pause on that point. You know, this is something we all experience, probably even right now many of us are experiencing it. Life isn't actually supposed to make sense apart from knowing the risen Lord Jesus Christ personally. It's not supposed to make sense. You can be as devoted and loving and courageous as Mary Magdalene, and yet without knowing the risen Lord Jesus Christ, you will be unable to make sense of it. And she's trying very hard. If anybody could have, at this moment, it would be her. Life isn't supposed to make sense apart from knowing the risen Lord Jesus Christ personally. The Apostle Paul says you can have all sorts of prophetic gifts and understand all mysteries and have all the faith to move mountains and even give up your body to be burned, but if we don't have love, Paul says, we gain nothing. It's a pretty startling statement. If our lives make a lot of sense all right, without knowing Jesus personally, it's just an illusion, it's a sham. It means that we are lucky and we have means. All right, but we're one step away from that illusion being crushed, right, because we're all gonna die. Um, and at that very moment, all bets are off and we realize that without knowing Jesus Christ personally, nothing really is supposed to make sense. But thank God, we're not left there. <laughs> That's the, just the first part of the sermon. <laughs> uh, God does something. And uh, I, I love in our psalm today, there's this really robust affirmation of the angelic host, right? Um, in chapter, uh, Psalm 91, verse 11, for he shall give his angels charge over you. Isn't that a reassuring thing? I don't really know, actually, a whole lot about angels. I, I wish I knew more. I don't say that to my credit. <laughs> I should know a lot more than I do. But I take it on faith because God said it that there are angels which have been given charge over me. And they're doing a beautiful job here. I, I think the first time, I had to read this several times to kind of get my head around this. The, the angels just don't do a lot. Like if you were staging the drama, the, this would be an easy part. They're just sitting there and they ask a question and that's it. You know, uh, there are other places in other gospels they have a little bit more thunder and lightning and, you know, movement. But this is a very easy thing. They sit, which is such a posture of confidence and authority and divine rest. They are not perturbed. Are you perturbed this morning? You know, I, this is something I think I, I've learned about the Lord. On the one hand, he weeps with us when we're weeping. You know, it wasn't too many chapters prior to this that Jesus weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus absolutely comprehends your pain and your suffering. It says so in Hebrews. We don't trust in a high priest who can't relate to our temptation. But he was made like us in every way. And yet at the same time, he's not worried I find that very reassuring. God knows what I'm going through and he cares deeply about it, but he's not worried. He's not anxious. 
He's not afraid because he knows something that we don't know, which is the whole end of the story. And these angels, interestingly, I, I think, you know, Jesus and the angels say the same thing at the beginning. If you notice, they ask the same question, woman, why are you weeping? You know, these angels and Jesus, they're on the same page. Go figure. <laughs> I don't know why that's surprising to me. I'm like, wow. Those angels, you know, I don't, I'm sure they didn't compare notes. Those angels were sent by the same God we meet in Jesus Christ. It's the same will. So these angels say something different to Mary than they say to the other people in the Bible because Mary's Mary. Mary Magdalene's Mary Magdalene. Mary, Jesus' mom, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know, the Roman guards are the Roman guards. And each one of them encounter these angels differently. And because God sent ministering angels to Mary Magdalene in particular, they say things to Mary that are fit for Mary. And you can have that assurance in your own life too, that you can trust God to bring to you the words that are fit for you. Sometimes it's very hard to trust that, but it's true. Mary may wanted somebody who maybe was a little bit more, she was looking for somebody to help. And these angels are just kind of sitting there. And they ask a question. <laughs> Why are you weeping? You know, the, the guys on the road to Emmaus, when they're talking to Jesus, say, where have you been? Have you not been checking the Facebook page? You know, <laughs> it's all over. Mary says, they have taken my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. It's a beautiful statement because Mary is grieving. And God doesn't want to sidestep that grief. He doesn't want to put the grief on the side. He doesn't want to give her the right answer. He doesn't say, stop grieving. It, these questions in Scripture are so important. It's how the whole story started when God said, Adam, where are you? And you can see in these questions that God asks you, there's a point to them because rather than just kind of hit us with the truth and the fact, he wants to create an environment where he can actually speak to us and we can actually hear at the point of need. And so the angels say, Mary, why are you, well, woman first, right? We're gonna not get ahead of the story. The, the angels say, woman, why are you weeping? And here, the first iteration of the question, Mary starts to bring it out. I wanna know where Jesus is. Well, at that very moment, Jesus, who is standing there somehow, um, emerges and makes himself known to Jesus, but still holding back just a little bit. Um, uh, and, and the way Jesus, again, creates this space of moving into Mary's spirit in a way that, that's so sensitive. And, and you can see that when Jesus interacts with you and with me, it's, it's not just simply to make a statement, it's actually to bring reconciliation. He covets the relationship. And so the way that he's acting with us in our lives is to make that possible. And for Mary, this has to be done gently. This is a grieving woman, and he moves in with such dignity and such respect. He's not playing games with her 
he's disclosing himself to her in a way that she could comprehend because nobody had ever seen this before. It wasn't like, you know, this was a, something that ever happened in history. And so he repeats the question. Again, a beautiful allowing of Mary to kind of come into her moment of pain and crisis and encounter Jesus right there. And he does this again gently. He said, woman, why are you weeping? And he adds just a little bit more depth to this now. He said, whom are you seeking? And Mary, supposing him to be the gardener, now discloses even more of her intention, her will, her plan. You can see even more of Mary's spirit coming into this. She said, I I don't even, I don't wanna just know where you may have taken him I want you to tell me where you have laid and I will take him away. Isn't that just beautiful? Alone among any of the other followers of Christ, she wants to take care of Jesus. It's the only time I can find in the New Testament this sentiment being expressed. Mary says, I have taken care of him because he has taken care of me and I will take care of him to the very end. I don't think she knew what she would do after that. I don't think for her there really was an after that. I think that was just the end. She just wanted to take care of her Lord. I can only imagine what was in Jesus' heart (laughs) at that point. I think if Jesus had nothing else to offer, he would have sat down and wept too. But the beautiful part of this story is that Jesus and the angel's ministry isn't to reject or deny our wounds, it's to heal them. Actually, we don't often really know what we feel until someone asks. I I know I've struggled with that a lot. Um, Our feelings are very complex, aren't they? I mean, they often mask as other things, particularly if we were ashamed of our feelings. So if we're actually grieving, it might come out as anger. Or, or, or self-justification, or defensiveness. I, 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 you know, my wife could tell you all kinds of little, uh, you know, kind of tactics I have to hide the real emotion, you know. How come that plate was broken? Well, it wasn't my, f- you know, and all this, actually, I'm like, I, I just feel so dumb. <laughs> but rather than just say that, you know, I have to come up with all kinds of reasons why I just, you know, the, there was an earthquake or the sh- dish rack was, that's the problem, or, you know, there were, you know, we do that all the time, and sometimes we just have to have pastoral ministry of, of the body of Christ to keep asking the difficult question Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Why are you angry? Why are you afraid? Why are you ashamed? These are hard questions, but the cross of Jesus Christ helps us to answer them because he's taken all of our shame and he keeps us from lying to ourselves. That's the beauty of the cross, to tell the truth about our sin and God's love at the same time. And so Jesus keeps moving in and asking these questions. She had a plan. Mary says, I have a plan. And Jesus then says something just so beautiful. (laughs) He says, no, Mary, I have a plan. (laughs) I love your plan, but I like my plan even better. (laughs) 
And that's so common in scripture. It's, it's so beautiful what Mary's doing, but without Jesus, it's not the right plan. It's not the right perspective. It's touching, it's moving, it's human. God, Jesus kind of cloaks Mary in his own grace, but it's in order to take Mary's life into a different dimension. And so Jesus says, no, Mary, I'm going to take you away. Mary says to Jesus, I'm gonna take his body. And Jesus says, no, Mary, I'm gonna take your body. And so as much as we respect the devotion of Mary in this story, it's really the devotion of Jesus Christ that ought to capture our attention. And that's always the way it is. Mary's so beautiful but it's the devotion of Jesus Christ that is the focus of our story here because his response to Mary is also the gift that he is giving to each and every single one of us when he calls us by our names. And this certainly is the most special part of our story here when he says, Mary. And then the scales fell off because she knew that voice and that name. It just went right there into her heart. It's the way that only Jesus can take the full scope of God's magnificence and bring it right down into a place where we can actually encounter it. Do you see how important that is? How could it possibly be that we in our brokenness and our woundedness and our grief could ever, ever, ever comprehend the vastness of God our Father in all of his magnificence and holiness and love and ever really come close to it except that he comes close to us in Jesus and he does that by coming in flesh and then calling our names, each one of us individually. It's why I selected the text from our Old Testament. You know, he did the same thing to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why we have the Jewish people, because God called them by their names. You know, I don't know if you've ever taken the chance to read the book of Numbers. It's one of the most, to our, to our you know, way of thinking, Numbers is very boring. It's just a lot of lists of names. But, you know, I, I've been to a lot of kids' concerts of my own kids, and all of us have been to a lot of concerts here. And I can imagine the outcry that would come from parents if the people who were writing the program notes just left out all the names. Said, you know, the names are so boring. Right? Because I will look through an entire list of junior high band names to find my kids. Right? God bless junior high band but I wouldn't go to see it typically if it weren't for the fact that my kid's in there. And, I look, and I'm excited when I see their name because that name's special to me. And you can imagine that oh, we might not write, like writing the book of Numbers because there's all these Jewish names. You can just imagine God and his angels sitting around on Saturday afternoon when the weather is bad and, and saying, hey, let's read the names. Oh, look at, you know, there's Shmuel. Oh, I remember that guy. You know, remember, and there's his son, you know. They love those people. 
That's why the Bible is so full of all these little people and their stories, because your story is so important. God calls your name. There is a book somewhere with your name written on it. It's called the Book of Life. Isn't that a nice name for a book? And don't you want your name in there? And your name's in there, and you better believe that the people who are reading it somewhere right now love it. They love reading that name. It's not like the phone book. Right? It's a special book with your name because each one of us has a story just like Mary's, full of pathos and sin. Let's not forget where she came from and why she loved so much. Seven demons, full of love and devotion, full of sorrow and grief, and yet God comes right in there and he says, Mary, and that's what he's saying to each one of you, and not just to make you feel. It's what God is doing when he's speaking your name is what he did to the Jewish people too. He's actually bringing you into his story. It's a recovery. It's not just a recovery, it's a restoration. It's a fulfillment of his will for you. And so when you meet Jesus, what you're meeting is not only one who loves you, but also one who will take your life and he will make it flourish in his plan. That's very hard to believe. At this very moment, Mary had very little to hope for, right? But yet, what does Christ do at this most vulnerable point? He calls her by name and he informs her of his most special plan and he gives her a mission, a vocation of announcing to the other disciples and that is what she is known for to this day. A disciple to the disciples, a messenger of messengers. Mary at the very depth of her sorrow by meeting Jesus in one moment had her life completely transformed. That's the power of the presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ. Her life didn't make sense beforehand. Now it makes all kinds of sense because she was addressed personally by name by her Lord and Savior. And that message is so glorious. Jesus says, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. What? Is this kind of just religious language that he's, my father and your father, my, father, my God and your God, and dun, 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 you know? No, of course not. It's such a beautiful expression of solidarity. Jesus says, I am taking you with me. My father is your father. You know, you ever been in those situations where you're just looking for somebody to help you because you have no access? Somebody comes and says, hey, you know, I know that guy. I'm gonna, hey, why don't you just come with me? We're just going to go right in there and we'll get this taken care of. And you're like, wow, that, I didn't, somebody has that kind of authority to do that, and I'm so glad I know that guy. Jesus says, hey, you know what? You're going with me. And the relationship that I have with God because of what I've done by taking your place and dying on the cross and ascending into hell and rising again and now ascending to my Father, I am taking you with me. And the relationship that I have, you will have. When God calls me son in whom I'm well pleased, he's, gonna, he's saying the same thing to you. He is my God. He is my Father. He is your God. He is your Father because you are with me. 
the magnitude of God's scope brought right down to Mary, and before she knows it, she realizes that she is in the very heart of a relationship with God. Right in the very heart of God's love. Right in the very center of the purpose for being created with Jesus, she has that restored. Jesus says there is going to be a man seated in heaven. And because of that, you will be seated there with me. Tell them my plan, Jesus says. Tell them where I'm going and what I'm doing. Tell them that I'm bringing all of you into the very presence of God. Tell them that I'm reconciling you to God. I'm bringing you to the very heart of the Father himself. Think of it. Mary demonized, now ascended to heaven at the very lowest place, now at the very highest. Friend, that's God's will for you. Mary is so special. She's so beautiful, but so are you. And what's even more special and beautiful than Mary is Jesus and his devotion to her and his devotion to you. He wants to bring the same message to each and every single one of us. He wants to ask you, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Why are you afraid? What are you planning? What are you assuming? And I want to ask you this morning is, are you listening to that question? Ask these questions of Jesus and let him bring to you all that he has for you. Let him tie your story together with his. Let him bring you up to God's presence. You can't do it on your own. You're not meant to do it on your own. When you call God Father, Jesus is right there with you. He's given you the privilege to utter those words with full assurance because you have been adopted as a son or a daughter. I can imagine how Mary must have run to share this news. Do you ever, you know, Mary, there's a way in which we know Jesus better now than the disciples did then because Jesus lives in us. How else could you possibly explain the fact that Mary could let go of Jesus? She, she let go, and she ran off in the other direction, and the disciples did that after Pentecost. You never hear anyone kind of sitting around saying, do you remember the good old days when Jesus was really here? You just never hear it enter because they knew that Jesus was inside them with such conviction that they never looked back. And so how, Jesus, how Mary must have run to share this news and how light her feet must have felt, how inspired, not a hint of grief, not a remnant of sorrow remained. She'd never been closer to Jesus before than she was from that moment on. And that's the case which, with each one of us. Because Jesus is our Savior, we have God as our Father and the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Hebrews said, the author of Hebrews says he's not ashamed to call us brothers. He wants even more brothers. I'll close with some words from the Apostle Paul. He says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith to this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in the hope of the glory of the children of God. You are a child of God. Jesus is calling your name. He wants you to ascend with him into heaven and restore to you 
his full purpose and plan. And because we know he did ascend, we know that he will. He loves you. He's calling you with his purpose. Listen and just receive and let Jesus do for you what only he can do. Amen.